And I don't know, it's like putting it Faith, I'm not feeling too good. Well, you do feel a little warm. Is that a full moon? Yeah, I think you have full moon fever. Just like the guy in tonight's movie. What are we watching tonight, Faith? An American werewolf in London. Right here on the late night fright. Welcome to all of you creatures of the night out there howling at the moon. You are tuned in to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my very full moon fever co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. You've been howling at the moon? I have been. We got a good movie for that tonight. (laughs) We... Faith and myself, we would like to welcome any astral travelers, interdimensional beings, and planetary envoys who may be tuning in. Whoever you are and wherever you're from, thank you for spending some time with us, and we hope that you are happy and healthy, whatever dimension you're from. Exactly. Yeah, I'd like to think that they're out there listening. I think so. They, they could be. I think they are. They could be. The 1981 <laughs> film we're talking about tonight is the first recipient of the Oscar for Best Makeup. It's called A Horror Comedy, and we're going to get into that tonight. And it's from writer-director John Landis, the man behind Animal House and the Blues Brothers, in a career whose filmography includes such gems as the Kentucky Fried Movie, Trading Places, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, and Coming to America – He calls this one his personal favorite of his films. What are we talking about tonight, Faith? An American Werewolf in London. A film that contains not one, not two, but how many, Faith? Three. Three versions (laughs) of Blue Moon. Yeah. It's got a few other pop tunes with Moon in the title and seven minutes of score from Elmer Bernstein. Only seven minutes. It's all they needed. (laughs) This film also contains amazing makeup from Rick Baker, the man responsible for Eddie Murphy's wonderful transformations throughout the years, and is the biggest influence on one of, if not the greatest music video of all time. Faith, what's the music video? Thriller. Thriller from Michael Jackson, (laughs) who loved this movie. And I I go with MJ on that one. Yeah, (laughs) right? Yes. This tonight, Faith, this was your pick. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, this was a good one. The last werewolf movie we did, it was a while back, it was over a year ago, was 1941's classic Lon Chaney Jr. Universal flick, The Wolfman, which is an influence on tonight's feature. And I'm really excited to see how this one shakes out. Me too. Yeah, I'm really (laughs) excited to talk about this. So this movie came out on August 21st, 1981. Faith, what do you say we get into the Wayback Machine and see what was going on? Let's do it. All right, buckle up and keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle, people. Here we go.
right. We are all the way back in 1981. The president of the United States was Ronald Reagan. Prime Minister of the UK was Margaret Thatcher. The Pope of the Roman Catholic Church was John Paul II. And as I may have insinuated last week, all three were members in good standing of the cabal that secretly rules the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so secretly anymore. People seem to be waking up to, yeah. to some things. Do you, do you agree with me on uh, that? I completely agree, yeah. I think so. Uh, if you are curious about the cabal that rules the world, do some research. <laughs> <laughs> I suggest you start with David Icke. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> What do you think, Faith? Uh, I agree with you. There you go. <laughs> uh, and if you'd like more information, listen to some of our past shows. I may may or may not have gone <laughs> off on, on it. We may go off on it again soon. Uh, all right. So the number one movie, Faith, what was the number one movie this weekend that this came out? An American Werewolf in London. Uh, that seems like a trick question, doesn't right? it? Right? <laughs> yeah. What was the number one TV show? Dallas. Who shot JR? I believe it was Priscilla Presley, too. It was her character that shot I have him. not uh, seen that show. I, I, well, I remember it when I was growing up. But I think it was Priscilla that did it. So huh, okay. There you go. Uh, what was the number one song in the U.S. of A, Faith? Uh, Endless Love. By Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, considered yes. one of the greatest duets of all time, from the Brooke Shields movie of the same name. Do you know what uh, future megastar made his big screen debut in that film? Uh, I feel like I do, but I don't off the top of my head. TC, baby. Tom Cruise. Brooke Shields, love her. And the number one song in the UK was Green Door by Shaken Stevens. Green Door, that's an old, old song. And Green Door was recently covered by Leonardo DiCaprio in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood film in a deleted scene. Uh, His character, Rick Dalton, was singing it on a uh, like a TV show, like a shindig type show. Uh, So, I mean, very old and still being cut. Uh, We have one celebrity birthday, too. Two, actually. Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, they were played by Army Hammer in the David Fincher film, The Social Network. They were the twins who uh, hired, uh, what's his name, Uh, Zuckerberg to uh, create the Facebook. So they tried to claim ownership. They got some kind of settlement or something like that. You know, I've not seen that film. It's a good film, Faith. It's a a really good movie. You like Fincher, you should should definitely check it out. We did a Fincher movie here on the show. We did seven. We need. I feel That's like we're right. we're due a Fincher film. I think we I should. Know. I think we should get into something like Zodiac. So mm-hmm. You like the true crime, don't you? I do. There you go. <laughs> All right. So, in the spirit of the full moon tonight, we have our top five songs with "Moon" in the title. If a naked American stole your balloons, you have come to the right place. What time is it, Faith? It's time for the late night fright. Cue the music. We will see you on the other side. Listen to them. Children of the night, what music they make. You know, Faith, we talked about another werewolf movie on the show, didn't we? We did, The Wolfman. 
the Universal Classic starring Lon Chaney. And that's not the only Universal monster movie we've talked about. What else have we talked about, Faith? We have talked about Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the creature from the Black Lagoon. And you know, we've also talked about the greatest creature of all time, Faith. Who's that? Nicholas Nicolas Cage. All of those episodes are available wherever podcasts can be found. You can also reach us at late night fright podcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. See you on the other side. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we are going to talk about 1981's John Landis film, An American Werewolf in London, tagged as the monster movie on the poster. And to do this, we have tea, don't we, Faith? We do. It's only fitting that you have tea to talk about uh, American Werewolf in London. London. So we've been doing this thing on the show. Randy Newman is one of the greatest film composers of all time, is he mm-hmm. not? He's right. really good. And he's, he can write themes for anything. So we have a special machine in the back right next to the Wayback Machine. <laughs> it's the Randy Newman machine. What would it be like if Randy Newman wrote a theme song for an American werewolf in London? Faith, do you know. think he could do it? I think he could, and I'm very, very intrigued to We've plugged find all out. of the variables into the machine, <laughs> and we're about to press play. Are you ready, Faith? I am so ready. All right, here we go. American werewolf, he got bit. And his best friend, he looks like shit. That pretty English nurse is taking him home It's not in Rome, it's not in France He got in her underpants American werewolf howling at the moon He's howling at the moon All right, that's enough. Cut the drums. I said cut the drums, God damn it! All right, how do you think you did, Faith? He did pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Gave you the whole story there, yeah, too. Yeah, pretty he? much. <laughs> he got in her underpants. Oh, too uh, good. There you go. Quick bit of trivia. 1981, this movie came out. There was another movie. It was the number one movie of the year that came out. Raiders of the Lost Ark came out the same year that this did. Ooh. Deborah Nadelman, who is John Landis's lovely, lovely wife, is one of the great costume designers of all time. She did the costumes for this movie. She also designed the iconic Indiana Jones look. Really? Yes. Very, very cool. Yes, she and Harrison Ford picked out all of those items together and uh, de-aged his jacket together. It's so. one of my favorite looks. It's pretty good, isn't it? It is. <laughs> pretty good. So this movie we're talking about. Ten years in development, Landis is hot after Animal House and the Blues Brothers, and the movie finally gets made. The origin of this movie is a lot of fun. Faith, would you like to kind of give a very short uh, synopsis of? You, you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> 
There's a movie called Kelly's Heroes with Clint Eastwood and a whole bunch of other great people. John Landis worked on this movie. Mm -hmm. So they were over in Europe and Yugoslavia Mm -hmm. and they were traveling and they saw a gypsy funeral and they were burying the guy feet first. And then this very, very deep hole with garlic garlic wrapped around him. And Landis asked the guy, why are they doing that? And the driver said, so he doesn't come back to life and terrorize everyone. So that's where the inspiration for the movie came from. It's so interesting. It really is, isn't it? I mean, that sounds like a movie in itself. You know? Yeah. And uh, and then it draws on the classic Universal films. Mm-hmm. But that, that's where it started. So he wrote the script in 1969. As I said, it was 10 years in development. He gets hot. They finally get it made. It does very well in theaters. And it's now considered to be a cult classic. This was distributed by Universal Pictures, so it's technically a Universal monster movie. It even says so on the poster. We said that. It's right there. You saw it. It's like right there. (laughs) The monster movie. Not a monster movie. This is the The monster monster movie. movie. There you go. Some call it a horror comedy. We're going to find out what we think about that in just a second. But before we get into any of that, Faith, what did you think of this movie? I love this movie so much. I loved it more than I thought that I would. This was a first time watch for you, correct? It was. Yes. And, and what made you decide to to pick this movie for the week? You had showed me a clip of it or maybe the trailer. It was a trailer, before, yeah. It and was. it really kind of grabbed me and I was like, okay, this looks really good. But just watching it, this felt like a really good horror movie. I mean, just kind of a, a classic horror movie in a way. Yeah, this is like horror movie 101. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I I'm, I love this movie too. I love it. <laughs> it's and hard not to. This uh this period of filmmaking that we're talking about here like when Spielberg and those guys come in, I mm-hmm. love this period of filmmaking because uh restrictions and taste were kind of loosened a right. bit. There was a leap ahead in like the makeup and the special effects and what they could achieve on screen you know, was light years ahead of what they could do with the universal films in in terms of effects and tone. Mm -hmm. You know, they couldn't show blood in the old universal films, but here, you know, this is like the Wolfman (laughs) on steroids, you know, (laughs) um, it really makes you wonder that like what those old universal movies would have been if they could have been as grotesque as something like this. But, uh, it feels like, you know, this, this era of filmmaking, now I'm talking about jaws and star Wars and close encounters. Like it went from like, analog to digital Mm -hmm. you know and just it seems like they were just they could just do what they wanted you know which is amazing landis is one of those guys Mm -hmm. who is whose name is in the conversation and we talked about this on the creature from the black lagoon episode i don't know if you remember this but there was talk of them doing a remake with the original director of black lagoon with landis producing and writing it and what re-watching this for the show it really made me wonder what would that have been right how good would that have been? I know. I mean, because you get to see what that creature would have looked like in the Monster Squad. Exactly. You know, with the uh, Stan Winston, I believe, was doing that. So you, you get an idea. But my God, the way that this movie works, if the creature movie had worked like that, it would have been off the chain. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, absolutely great. Uh, the cast here is very good. This includes David Naughton. He was a Dr. Pepper uh, uh spokesman he was in the commercials wouldn't you like to be a pepper he plays david kessler griffin dunn plays jack goodman they're two american students backpacking through europe jenny agator is nurse alex price john woodvine is dr hirsch and we even have an appearance from frank oz as mr collins of the american embassy frank oz is of course most famous for playing yoda and miss piggy he's also bert and grover (laughs) 
So uh, how do you think this movie stacks up with the old Universal films? And we did quite a number of the old Universal films. I think we've covered all of the major Mm -hmm. films in the canon. We did. How does this uh, uh, stack up against that library? I mean, I think it stacks up pretty well. I mean, obviously you have more blood and more violence here, but this makes me want to watch classic universal movies does that make any sense i mean like complete sense. you just feel that vibe watching this movie you you feel like obviously this was inspired you know from those movies That's, I, I mean it doesn't even feel like an homage to them uh-uh. it feels like it's one of them it that does. was just as i said the restrictions are loose so it they does. can do what they want with uh blood and gore and nudity there's a there's a little bit of nudity in this movie <laughs> But it's an equal opportunity uh, right? nudist film. You, you get some uh, hang dang and some uh, hoo hoo dillies. That'd be our first hang dang. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, Landis, I saw an interview with him. He talked about the Kurt Seadmack script from The Wolfman uh, and how that's a tragedy. And I completely mm-hmm. agree with him because that movie is tragic. Now, let's get into it because when we did The Wolfman, you weren't a huge fan of the film, were you? It wasn't my favorite out of all the ones that we. Had done out of the you know universal uh, movies, but I didn't hate it. No, but I just remember like you weren't like I was expecting you to be kind of ecstatic with it, and you were just kind of like you kind of tempered. I need to watch it again. I mean, maybe I just lost focus or something with it. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. it's weird sometimes when you watch movies, you can be in a bad mood, or right? I something mean, could be going on. I but I, I just remember you were kind of tempered on your reaction to it, um, which actually kind of surprised me, but. But it was a tragedy. That's the thing. Right. And the tragic right. element is here, too. And Landis says the werewolf myth is a metaphor for having cancer. And he spreads his cancer to everyone else. In this one, I'm going to go with the guy is really horny and he's spreading his boner everywhere. <laughs> Sex. Sex faith. <laughs> and you just said it could be our first movie with Hang Dang. Is this our first movie with a sex scene of this magnitude, too? I think too? so. And it's pretty tame i mean it's yeah. not like i don't think we've ever had a movie there with a sex scene like on the big screen yeah <laughs> in the background behind people I don't oh think yes we we're gonna get in there's a fun bit of trivia with that too with the <laughs> see you next wednesday porno <laughs> flick um so let's get we've been we've been kind of dancing around this question uh this is regarded in many circles as a horror comedy what do you think about that about that I reputation i'm not sure why it gets put in that category because that like you said i've never seen it that's what i was kind of going in expecting kind of more of the you know ha ha ha's kind of throughout but it's a lot darker than i thought it would be yeah there are funny moments but i think it's more of a straight-up horror than it is comedy so does landis and i go with him on this one because he said doing the remaster a few years back he said you know rewatching the movie for the first time when he goes i I, he realized how gory it is um i think it's terrifying i really do (laughs) and i think of it more as like a horror film with comedic elements yeah and i've said this on the show before i love the way that horror and comedy play with Mm -hmm. each other um i think the end result with both is the same i think there's a kind of a catharsis like there's a release with horror and with comedy you're getting the same uh energy release from it you know um so, no, it's very funny. There are some very funny things in here, but I don't think of this as a comedy. I don't either. I even saw a review. They were like, this is one of the best horror comedies of all time. I'm just, I'm not buying the horror comedy. No. You know, tag for it. I don't, I don't, under, no. I don't know. 
let's uh we've never done this on the show before i want to walk through the entire movie and we're using uh our good friends over at wikipedia have helped us with this and as we've said on the show before faith it's not lazy it's efficient it's efficient (laughs) so shall we sure all right two american backpackers from new york city david kessler and jack goodman are trekking across the moors in yorkshire as night falls they stop at a local pub called the slaughtered lamb that should be your first you know, inclination right there that something's wrong. Jack notices a five-pointed star on the wall, but when he asks about it, the pub goers become hostile. The pair decide to leave, and the pub goers warn them to keep to the road, stay clear of the moors, and beware of the full moon. Ooh. David and Jack end up wandering off the road onto the moors and are attacked by a vicious creature. Jack is mauled to death, and David is injured. The beast is shot and killed by some of the pub goers who come out and search for the boys. Instead of a dead animal, David sees the corpse of a naked man lying next to him before passing out. So let's discuss. <laughs> um, this is my absolute favorite bit of the movie. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this first? It's about 15, 20 minutes or so mm-hmm. of the movie. What did you think of this? I agree. It's my favorite part, too, because I feel like just the whole mood and vibe is instantly delivered to you. I mean, it's it's all right there. Totally. I mean, <laughs> totally. It sets the tone for the it whole does. thing. and. This, what I was just saying, it feels like an old horror movie. Mm-hmm. And it's horror movie 101. Everything you want out of a horror movie. And it feels like a universal film. And it feels like a Hammer film, too, yeah. because of the Moors. And uh, I was catching a real 1931 Dracula vibe from this. Mm-hmm. Remember when Renfield's coming in yep. and they're like, a, oh, no, don't go to the castle. You know, and, <laughs> yes. and he's the outsider. I was catching that so mm-hmm. hard with this. It reminded me so much of that. Um and this part, uh, especially we talked about Thriller, this feels like the movie within the video mm-hmm. in Thriller. To I me. agree. Um, it Doesn't it just feel like a late night movie it you'd does. see on TV? <laughs> it really does. You know, like at Halloween, yes. you know. So amazing. So here we go with the synopsis. David wakes up three weeks later in a hospital in London. He's interviewed by police inspector Valiers, who tells him that he and Jack were attacked by an escaped lunatic. But David insists they were attacked by some sort of rabid dog or wolf. An undead Jack appears to David and explains the beast that attacked them was a werewolf and reveals that David is now one. Jack urges David to kill himself before the next full moon, not only because Jack is cursed to linger undead for as long as the bloodline of the werewolf that attacked them survives, but also to prevent David from inflicting the same fate on anyone else. So we're moving into like the next kind of into the first act here. Mm-hmm. You're learning what's going on. Um, this, to me, though, is where you're introduced to the standout element of this film. And that's Griffin Dunn appearing to David Naughton's character in various uh, uh, forms of decomposition. Yes. Uh, what did you think of Griffin Dunn in this movie? Because that this performance and that character is something that had been copied quite a bit. Uh, most recently in 2017's The Mummy with Tom Cruise, they tried to establish this relationship. And that movie borrows heavily from this one and does not work like <laughs> this one does. I'm about to say this one. You, I mean, this works. They feel like yeah. real. Yes. Real boys. I mean. Yeah. Well, and they're boys. That's the thing. They are uh-huh. boys. Yes. Um, horny boys. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Griffin Dunn, though? Oh, I loved him. And, and seeing him in his different stages, it was just so brilliant i like that they they took that and kind of changed it it wasn't just like here's a dead person (laughs) there are different stages of him changing but i loved him i think he brings some of that 
comedies, you know, that maybe people consider the horror comedy. And but. nothing that he's saying is funny. It's funny to look at him. But what's funny about that performance and that character is that he's so sunshiny. The disposition, yeah. <laughs> you know, even though he's like, you need to kill yourself, David. But he's so but like, it's not down happy and, and optimistic. Like, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> uh, the makeup job there is phenomenal, I by know. the way. Uh, the little hanging pieces of flesh is gross. <laughs> um. I have a note here. The normal guy shtick mm-hmm. is really gold. Uh, I also like the view into David's dreams during this section. Uh, I feel like that's an expansion of the Wolfman. You're seeing him mm-hmm. kind of run through the forest. Uh, you see him like attack a deer. You yeah. see, him, you know, you're feeling kind of the feverish animal inside, mm-hmm. which I think is doing a lot to set the tone here. Right. We talked about Griffin Dunn. Let's talk about David Naughton. I think David Naughton makes this movie what it is. I what do you think, think so. of his performance? I loved him. He just has this. I don't know, I, I call him a boy. He's got this boyish charm that you just, he grows on you as you're watching this film. And he's likable. He is. He's very <laughs> likable, and you don't want anything bad to no, happen to him. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. It's, uh, it really is an amazing movie, the way that this that this is constructed. But you get the idea here that they really are expanding on the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. You know. And did I read that they wanted... Um, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi to play these The studio did, yes, because they wanted names in it. I couldn't see. I could not see that working for some... You know, I just cannot. I think it was smart to pick these guys. Yeah. Um, I And, and, you know, the thing, too, uh, we're going to talk about this a little later, the other aspect to this, Mm -hmm. of being separated and separate. Uh, But, uh, you know, Chaney and the Wolfman, even though he's from this English village, is playing American. And Mm -hmm. so there is... That element in the Wolfman, too, of, you know, him being American in a foreign land. So that's working, too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's continue. Dr. Hirsch takes a road trip to the slaughtered land to see if what David has told him is true. When asked about the incident, the pub goers deny any knowledge of David, Jack or the attack. However, one distraught pub goer speaks to Dr. Hirsch outside the pub and says David should not have been taken away and that everyone else will be in danger when he transforms. Upon his release from intensive care, David moves in with Alex Price, a young nurse who grew infatuated with him in the hospital. He stays in Alex's London apartment where they later have sex. (laughs) They sure do. (laughs) Jack, in a more advanced stage of decay, appears to David to warn him that he will become a werewolf the next night. Jack again advises David to take his own life to avoid killing innocent people. But David refuses to believe him. When the full moon rises, David painfully transforms from his human form into a werewolf. David, now in werewolf form, prowls the streets and the London Underground, killing and slaughtering six people in the process. He wakes up the next morning naked on the floor of a wolf enclosure at the London Zoo with no recollection of what happened and manages to make his way back to Alex's apartment. And this is uh, the uh, setup for one of my favorite lines in the movie, A Naked American Man Stole My Balloons. (laughs) So uh, here we go. This is we're getting kind of the heart of the movie here and the most famous scene from this movie is in this bit. That's transformation scene. So let's talk about that. Uh, what did you think of the transformation scene? Uh, especially being a first time viewer, did you know that it was going to be this in your face and graphic? No, <laughs> I, honestly, I was kind of shocked at first because you know I'm just watching. He's sitting there, and then he starts to kind of do weird movements or whatever he was doing. I thought you've got Sam Cooke, Blue he Moon, playing. Joking at first, to be honest with you, like I thought he was just like, haha, I'm transforming. And he uh-huh. was just making these noises just to kind yeah. of mock this idea. And then once he transformed, I was like, okay. 
it's pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> starts with him taking his clothes off, and uh-huh. then the hand expands into the paw. You see the the spine. You see the hair. It seems painful. It, it, that's the thing. It's very painful. painful, and I don't think we had seen anything this. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? In depth mm-hmm. of a werewolf transformation on screen before, because Cheney, you see the hair grow. You know, right. uh, they did the stop motion type thing with that, but uh, mm-hmm. you don't get the excruciating. No, yeah, they, yeah, that's that's a great word, excruciating. And you see him actually seems. turn into an animal. Uh-huh. That's the thing. Uh, he's not a wolf man. He is a wolf. wolf. <laughs> um, is it a metaphor for a boner, like Landis says? <laughs> sure. I, I can see it. I can, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Sure. And as I said, he's spreading his boner all over <laughs> all over London. Um, there's definitely, but it is, you know, that metaphor does work though with the sexual aspect mm-hmm. of this film because that is set up early in the oh, movie. Yeah. They're talking about sex when they get off yep. of that, uh, they get off the truck. And we have to mention the truck they're on is full of sheep. <laughs> <laughs> you can't pull the wool over my eyes, Landis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about the killings in this? Because this is absolutely terrifying. Like, I, I forgot how terrifying this movie was. It had been 10 years since I'd seen this. But uh, I the the killing sequence here with the six people that he kills mm-hmm. at night are, is some of my favorite stuff in the movie. And it's some of my favorite stuff in any of the movies we've done on this show before. It's so classic and old school, but new and modern, uh-huh. even though this movie is 40 years old now. But it still feels very fresh. Yeah. You know, it's like a like a great pop song from from an era long gone. It still feels fresh. Mm-hmm. This just is again horror one hundred and one. What were you thinking of the killings though? I thought they were awesome. I like that. I like how dark the environment was, and you couldn't. I mean, I feel like you could see what was going on, but you're not really sure what's going on. So it yeah. makes it you know extra creepy. I don't know. I thought it was just it was done so well. Yeah. Uh, did you have a favorite out of that bit? Ooh. Hmm. I like the guy in the subway. I like the shot yeah. from the escalator. You see the wolf. Landis says that's his favorite shot. That's, my, that's the yeah. one that stuck with me because you see how big it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. You don't really see it. Right. Like you have an idea of what a it is. A part of me wanted to kind of see it for a second when he was running. Yeah. Like maybe kind of see it chasing, but I'm yeah. not mad at it. <laughs> Before we move on, what did you think of the shot in the transformation with the head? That's the one everybody loves. It's about a five to seven second shot where his, his head elongates. Yeah. What, what did you think of that? I was waiting for it. And I didn't know if I was if we were going to actually see it. And then when it happened, I was like, wow, they did a really good job it, yeah. with that. I mean. Yeah. And there's a reason this one best. Right. <laughs> And uh, they say that when you think it's a puppet, it actually might be real. And when you think it's real, it actually might be a puppet. I like that you don't know. What's right. what I think it's very, it's very amazing and iconic. And I actually saw this when I was younger. And you know what? It didn't scare me. I was more intrigued mm-hmm. with it than, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's, it's horrifying in a way, but it's not nightmarish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after realizing that he became a werewolf and was responsible for the previous night's murder, David unsuccessfully attempts to get himself arrested in Trafalgar Square. He goes to Piccadilly Circus, calling his family from a phone booth to say he loves them and then loses courage when he attempts and fails to slit his own wrist with a pocket knife. David then suddenly sees Jack in a yet more advanced stage of decay outside of an adult movie theater. Inside, Jack is accompanied by David's victims from the previous night most of whom are furious with David and suggest different methods for him to commit suicide. <laughs> David transforms again into a werewolf inside the movie theater. He decapitates Inspector Valiers and wreaks havoc in the streets, causing the deaths of many drivers and bystanders. He is ultimately trapped and surrounded in an alleyway by the police. 
Alex runs down the alley in an attempt to calm David by telling him that she loves him. Although David appears to recognize her for a brief moment, he lunges forward and is shot by police. Alex cries while staring at David, reverted to human form, lying dead and naked on the ground. Cue Blue Moon by the Marcells. And that's the end of the movie. That's, that's the end of the movie. Um, the See You Next Wednesday porno film that they are watching in the uh, theater in Piccadilly uh, Circle, uh, that is something that John Landis planted. Uh, See You Next Wednesday is a movie poster in most of his movies. That's in the Blues Brothers, famously big billboard. And the line of dialogue comes from 2001 from Hal 9, or not Hal, it comes from a phone call, I'm sorry, one of the astronauts has with their family. So a neat little bit. <laughs> I like that <laughs> bit of business there. Um, before we get into this, we have not talked about Jenny Agutter. I believe that is how I looked it up. That's how you pronounce her name. She was in Logan's run. Uh, she uh, acted. She was very young when she started acting. She was in her teens, I believe, when she started. Uh, what did you think of her here? I liked her a lot. I don't think the movie works as well as it does without her. I agree. With that, uh, not only the character, but the performance, mm-hmm. there's something very likable about mm-hmm. her. And when she says she feels sorry for him and intrigued attracted to and him. attracted, <laughs> I actually believe it. And I feel like, what do you, let's talk about their relationship because it is central to the core of this movie. I feel like they handle it very well. It's not like, oh, I love you, I love you. Right. But it's also not like this, this freak, these, uh, this freak sex thing. You know, they do, they do have sex. But they seem like they have an actual connection. And and it feels like they're having conversations and, right. and she does care for him. And mm-hmm. this, you know, I really like the way it's portrayed. Mm-hmm. She is not portrayed as uh, a woman of loose morals, let's say. Right. Because she even <laughs> says she never does anything like that. But right. uh, I, I think she gives this movie a lot, a lot, a lot of humanity. Yeah, I agree. A lot of humanity. Mm-hmm. She's the, the human side of this to this monster side. There's a lot of warmth to her, too. Yeah. And... Um, I like she I think she's a beautiful woman. I don't think that she's so stunningly beautiful that you stop what you're doing, you know, that your jaw drops. I th- she's very attractive. I think so. Um, but uh, she's one of these women. I think she's very kind of everyday pretty. Mm-hmm. And I think that works for this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I you agree. Uh, she and David Naughton are not like these matinee, you know, right. uh, uh, beautiful pinup people. Right. Very good looking <laughs> people. But, you know, but it. it the, the casting, I think, is what I'm trying to say. The casting for this works so well. And she's a great bit of casting. So I wanted to make sure that we talked about her. Um, what? How did you think this was going to resolve itself? You know, because I was in it again, 10 years since I'd seen it. I knew he died at the end, but I was like, how did they? I couldn't remember how they got there. I loved it. Oh, I did, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of assumed something was going to happen to him. But I think this ending had to be like this. I think... It had to be tragic because it ties into the whole universal, you know, which, classic Which they universal. talk about. And right. they name drop uh, not only The Wolfman, but Curse of the Werewolf from Hammer Films with Oliver Reed, which is another great film mm-hmm. we're going to get to eventually on this show. Um, maybe the two greatest werewolf movies, you know, up to this one, <laughs> you know. Uh, I I actually consider this to be the greatest werewolf movie ever made. And I'm, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Wolfman fan. <laughs> And watching this again, I went, no, it's this one. Yeah, this, this is, the is one. my favorite right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one. Yeah. yeah, but I think that ending, it just it just had to work that way. And I think I even read where a lot of people were like, well, we like the movie, but the, the ending was a little upsetting for people. I'm like, well, I don't know how else it should have ended. Because I feel like that tragedy had to happen. They were setting it have, up for the, yeah. for the tragedy it from the beginning. It had to happen, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they even say, you know, Lon Chaney was killed by someone he loved, mm-hmm. you know. 
it, it's set up from the this it had to end this way. Exactly. What did you think of the scene, which is one of my favorites in the movie theater with all the dead people? Oh, that's because one of my I think, favorites. And I think that might be one of the reasons too why I get this gets pegged as a horror comedy because that, especially the couple, the couple that are sitting next to him, like, why don't you use a gun? Yeah, just put it right up to your head. Yeah, they're just so cheery. <laughs> just cheery. and the three homeless guys are pissed at him. You know, <laughs> I, again, I think that's maybe why this gets you know that that knock of horror comedy. It's not a knock, but that label put on right. it. Um, and Griffin Dunn is as cheery as ever in that scene. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. I mean, I did find myself giggling at which ways he should kill himself. I'm like, okay, that's that's pretty clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, very good film. This very. Is, very good film. Again, Horror 101. This is like everything you want in a monster movie kind of rolled into one. Um, I want to talk about the look of it. I love the look of this movie. I love the look mm-hmm. of the Moors. I love that that kind of uh, wet look it has in the beginning mm-hmm. with the, with, would that be humidity, I guess? You know, yeah. or just the... The, the, the dewy it's, look yeah, to it. Yeah, it's got like this almost grainy kind of effect to it in a way. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't feel like it's from the 80s at all. No. Like at all. No, no. Gorgeously shot too. Mm-hmm. Really, really well done. Uh, seven minutes of score from Elmer Bernstein who did the music for uh, uh, Animal House. Uh, he worked with Landis on that. But he also did the score for Ghostbusters which we talked about mm-hmm. on this show. We both really liked his score for Ghostbusters. Uh, seven minutes. What did you think of of the seven minutes of, uh, of of score? I liked it. And I really think that's all you really needed for it. I didn't notice the lack of score. I uh, know. I didn't either. What did you think of the pop songs in it? Uh, I, I liked it. And they used Blue Moon three times. They mm-hmm. used Moon Dance by Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. They used... Uh, Bad Moon Rising. Bad Moon Rising. I feel like there's and another that's, one. I think that's it. Because you had the three... I think... The three versions of Blue Moon. Yeah. You had Bobby Vinton, the Marcells, and Sam Cooke. Which uh, didn't, like, overwhelm it. For, no. You know, like, it wasn't like, okay, why are we hearing this again? It was like, okay, this is this is fine. <laughs> kind of surprising that we didn't get Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon. Uh, <laughs> but it might have been a little too on the nose. I don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> you know, there's another shot that um we should probably discuss. When the wolf comes flying out the theater door. Yeah. And the officer's head flies off. Yeah. That's just... So good. <laughs> I uh, the whole bit there in Piccadilly Circle when it comes out, and then the car accidents and people yes. getting run over. Did that remind you of anything? And not something specific, but it did. Tonal, but I couldn't think of what it wise. was. Quentin Tarantino. That reminded me of Tarantino, okay. like like the scene in Pulp Fiction where Bruce Willis <laughs> shoots Mar or runs over Marsalis, and then somebody gets shot, and the violence has happened, and you know. Violence begetting yeah, violence. Can, like, yeah, I can see that. And it was kind of funny, sort of. You I, know? I think I laughed out loud, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> Cartoonish in a uh-huh. way. Yeah. So we finally do get to see the wolf full on here. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the wolf? I think he's very creepy looking, especially his eyes. Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking. The eyes always yeah, get me, yeah. you know. But yeah, I think that it's very creepy looking. Yeah. Uh, the ending, because uh, it just goes, there he is. He's dead. And they don't talk about it. Boom! dang, you know. They, I mean, it really is a dark tragedy of a movie. It is so just dark. That's the phone call to the family, you know. Uh, yeah, very dark. And we actually do get to see his family, and we're going to talk about that. Oh, a l- yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit more uh, in the last segment with the the other aspect of this and the other in in uh, quotes, you know, mm-hmm. the otherness of this. Um, the Nazi werewolves that we get, 
uh, it's another thing. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's kind of funny. You know, uh, Nazis scum of the earth, but, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of funny. I think, you know, kind of pegs it in that horror comedy genre mm-hmm. a little bit, but uh, we're going to talk about that a little more. But uh, I think this is just fabulous. I think this is just everybody needs to see this. I'm really glad I picked it. <laughs> I am, too. <laughs> it def- I, I want to watch it a few more times. Like, soon. This one I almost watched. For some reason, I watched it earlier. I usually watch the movie, like, day before, day of Mm -hmm. the show uh, as I'm getting notes together. And this one I watched early, and I almost watched it a second time, which would have been a first for me with the show, like, watching something again. And really just watching it because I loved it. I loved it so much. Yeah, it had been 10 years. 10 years. I need to not wait that long again. Right. Uh, you have anything else you would like to say about this movie right now? I think that's it for right now. What about you? That's it. Uh, we have one other thing I'd like to talk about. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that after the break. We also have our top five uh, songs with Moon in the title. Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, But you know what, Faith? This is a news break. Yes, it is. News break. So stay tuned for all the fake news that is not fit to print. <laughs> I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. some shocking news coming out of the dream world. Frederick Charles Krueger, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, a.k.a. Uncle Fred, has lost his job as Dream Demon. That's right, Faith. Uncle Fred got the news from the director of the Dream World HR department, Helga Headwound. According to Headwound, she was forced to invoke a zero-tolerance policy when she learned Krueger had called a victim bitch. The victim in question is Jennifer Parker, She was a patient in the Weston Hills Psychiatric Facility. Parker wanted to be a television actress. According to sources, Kruger smashed her head through a TV set while saying, Welcome to primetime, bitch. That got him suspended, but he got fired when he called Helga Headwound a bitch. We have an exclusive statement from Uncle Fred right here on the Late Night Fright. Let's roll that tape. Why did I do that? Because I care. 
Nobody in this country cares anymore. Let me tell you, when I did that, it was hilarious. So anyway, this Jennifer Parker chick, her name comes up, right? She should have seen this piece of work burn herself and stay away. I mean, who smokes anymore? What's wrong, princess? You can't afford to vape. So anyway, I know she wants to be an actress, so I smash her head through the TV and I say, Welcome to prime time, bitch. That shit is classic. Do you know, do you people appreciate the setup and punchline of that? It's magnificent. Anyway, I'm feeling pretty good when I stroll back in the office. And there's Helga Headwound, heifer from the HR department, says, You can't say that, it hurts your feelings. And I'm all, who cares about their feelings? We kill them. And she says, that's not what we do. So I call her a bitch. And then a bitch fired me. My only crime is caring too much. Well, let me tell you something. You won't have a local friend to kick around anymore. I haven't been this peeve since all those parents burned me alive. Oh, I'll have my revenge. Before I can do that, i got to find a job. That's priority number one. Dan, the dream world just won't be the same without him. No, it won't. Sources tell us he's planning on going into babysitting, and we wish him luck. Yes, we do. And for the record... I'd rather leave a little one with Uncle Fred than with Tom Hanks. Evil bastard. Malignant tumor on the ass of humanity. And that is the news. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Faith, if we learned anything from this movie tonight, I believe the lesson we should all take is keep off of the moors. Yes. Stay to the road. Yes. Stay to the road. <laughs> and if you're an outsider, stay an outsider. That's <laughs> that's it. Uh, we uh, Since we came back from our break, we have been doing uh, either top five or top ten lists. This is a 
relatively new feature of the show. Faith and I really enjoy this. And tonight we have our top five favorite tunes with moon in the title. The only thing it needed to have was moon in the title. (laughs) Pretty easy. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) Faith, you have the honor. uh, Number five. I have Dancing in the Moonlight from King Harvest. That is a great one. That almost made my list. I went with Moonlight Serenade from Glenn Miller, one of the great, beautiful melodies of all time. That's one of those songs, everybody knows it. They don't know the name of it. Okay. So, number four. Fly Me to the Moon, Frank Ah, Sinatra. Yes, uh, that is on my list as well. But at number four, I have Blue Moon. Uh, really any version of Blue Moon. The ones that I like, though, are the Bobby Vinton version, the Elvis Presley version, uh, the Montels, uh, and this one, the kind of doo-wop uh, vocal group, mm-hmm. uh, the ba with the ba, the bang, the bang, bang. I think that's one of the great moments in doo-wop history. Uh, it's it's a really great song. It's a very haunting song, too. Mm-hmm. I think that it, you, can, you can get a lot out of that. Yeah. I didn't make my list, unfortunately, but it's a good song. <laughs> I feel the same way about uh, what did you have at number five? You had uh, Dancing, Dancing in the, the Moon. Moon. Yeah, it was like that was on like my big list that I whittled mm-hmm. down. Uh, what do you have at number three? I have Bad Moon Rising from CCR. There you go. Uh, that's where I put Fly Me to the Moon. All right. Uh, now, the Fly Me to the Moon version Frank Sinatra did, I just want to say this for all of our music aficionados out there, that was cut with the Count Basie Orchestra. It was arranged by Mr. Quincy Jones. Very nice. So, and I think that is one of the quintessential pieces of American music. I think that <laughs> that tune is is yeah. fabulous. The playing on it, the arrangement, everything about it. And uh, I am not a huge Sinatra fan. Might be my favorite Sinatra cut. Yeah. Uh, I, I respect him like mm-hmm. nobody's business. But uh, all right, here we go. Our top two. What do you got at number two, Faith? Harvest Moon from Neil Young. That's funny. I have Harvest Moon by Neil Young at number two as well. <laughs> I had to move it around. It was my number one, then I had to change it. You're kidding me. Yeah. Faith, I want you to look here on my list. I See the arrows there? I would moved it. <laughs> I moved it. Uh, that is just a great, beautiful song. Neil it's Young is so favorites. capable of such beauty. I know. Really. There's a wonderful version from Red Rocks that's on YouTube. with uh, It's a live version. And the great bass player, Donald Duck Dunn, who we talked about, who was in John Landis's Blues Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. He was in the Blues Brothers band, uh, is in his band. And it's just gorgeous. It's just a really great vibe to, to it. Uh, let's see. I think we might <laughs> have the same number one. Right. Is it possible? Let's see. Does the singer's name rhyme with man? It does. Let's see. Let's do it on three. One, two, three. Moon, Moon dance. dance. <laughs> it's great. It sounds like the fall. It's a jazzy kind of tune. I had it at number two because I've always loved the song. But then hearing it in the movie, I was like, wait a minute. This song just really is that good. <laughs> it's sexy as hell, too. I know. <laughs> it's a really sexy tune. Um, the studio version is amazing. But there's a, a version from A Night in San Francisco that's about 12 minutes long with his uh, big band. And uh, it, it moves a little more, but he goes into My Funny Valentine. And that, to me, is like the version of the tune. Hmm. So Faith and I might have to listen to that later <laughs> after the show. Yeah, I haven't I su- heard that. I suggest you all out there <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> So I want uh, I got one one thing I want to talk about with the movie. Uh, we mentioned the Nazi werewolves. Uh, the main character, David Kessler, is Jewish. And they make a point of of letting us know that he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. And the 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 fact that he's Jewish is a big part of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go out of their way. It's not like a hitting you over the head with it. But, you know, this guy is, right. is Jewish. 
this movie deals with otherness mm-hmm. and I'm using that like in the, in the quotations, otherness. Uh, he's an American in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, he turns into this beast. Uh, he's also Jewish too. And, um, the, the nightmare he has about the Nazi werewolves is really funny, but I think it's very telling too. you know, they're, you know, the beast is evil, but the Nazi, you know, the beast is dreaming about Nazis and that's a nightmare <laughs> that should tell you something. Right. You also have the otherness theme uh, with them going into the town and the way that the town is structured. And I feel like there's a movie waiting to be made about that town mm-hmm. that they're in, you know, because they know what's going down. And, and anyway, um, I also love the fact you never know about that guy that they killed out on the moors, the werewolf, the original oh, I know. werewolf. There's like this, there's like two or three other movies happening around yeah. this movie. Um, but the theme, theme of otherness, and it's even, like I said, it's in the title, an American werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did, what did you think of that? Uh, was that something you were catching during the movie? Uh, or is, uh, um, and now that, you know, we're kind of putting it out there, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I, I was catching that. And then I read your notes because you told me not to look at them until after I watched. Right. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I, he, he, obviously you see it. You're not stupid. But I was like, yeah, okay, I saw this too. And I mean, I think it's obvious for the most part that right. it is about otherness. I mean, I think obviously it's a movie about turning into a werewolf. <laughs> it's just something different and other, you know? Right. And I think I think the, the, the Jewish aspect works mm-hmm. uh but it's i don't think it's exclusive to right you know, you know him being jewish right. kind of thing. it's just it's and landis is you know so it's it's very autobiographical i think in that respect right. so i mean it's like what he knows right. you know but uh now i like that aspect of it that mm-hmm. the guy feels kind of and i wouldn't say him being jewish makes him alienated that's not the point right. here but there's so many things other you know and then he becomes the ultimate other he becomes mm-hmm. a beast he because he doesn't even he's not even a man anymore exactly you know so i think it's just a level to this i think that's working on a deeper level yeah i agree you know and i think a lot of people have felt that other mm-hmm. and i think that's where a lot of horror comes from is the alienation yeah exactly know? so i think this is just a masterpiece of a film i really i really I do so i think this is one of the great horror films of all time i think so too <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm ashamed of us that it took us this long to get to it. It's I think it's been on one of our lists maybe. For it's a been while. sitting there because '81 they had three big werewolf movies out, and we were going to do all three of them on a show, and then it was kind of like, <laughs> no, we don't want to do that. But uh, th- this was a great pick. Yeah, really, really great pick. I'm glad um, we did this. Do you have anything else you'd like to add about this movie? Any anything? Not any- off the top of my head at the moment. No, unfortunately, I can't think of anything. I think top to bottom, the way he uses music, the way that this is shot and edited. Uh, it does have a good setup, you know. I, I do like the way that how he found out. Like uh, there were the you know the killings. Like it wasn't like apparent right away. I like that right. the taxi driver kind of gave him the information, and he wakes up at the zoo. So you kind of put all these yeah. things. So I like the setup of how things are kind of flowing. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and these guys, Landis, and we've talked about that era of filmmaking so many times on this show. Mm-hmm. You know, the Milius and Lucas and Spielberg, mm-hmm. Coppola, we've talked about on this show. Um, they just knew what they were doing. These are great craftsmen, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, what I love, too, about this movie, this does have the feeling sometimes of a 12-year-old boy behind the camera. Let's put this in. Let's put this in. <laughs> now, he has said, he's on record of saying he would have held off now. You know, if he made this now, he would hold off on some things. I like it just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I do too. I like that you don't really even see the beast in its entirety until the very last yeah. couple of minutes of this. I yeah, like I it. think it makes it creepier kind of holding off on it, you know? Yeah, I do too. 
I do too. Uh, one more question. Uh, does this make you want to watch The Wolfman again? Yes, it, do you yes, it does. kind of go back and, yeah. and look at that? And like I said earlier, it's not that you were down on the movie at all. I just remember you were a little more tempered you know, than I was expecting. I mean, there are some days when, you know... You know, you have to watch a movie and you're just maybe not in the mood to watch a right, movie. So maybe that right. was my deal. Maybe I just wasn't fully committed to being in the zone of watching it. But listen, I didn't hate it. But I, th- I do want to watch it again. I think uh, we've been batting this idea around a little bit that we might go back into some movies that we've done. Not because we're running out of material, but kind of reevaluating mm-hmm. certain films. And that's one that I would like to go back and watch, especially yeah. with uh, in light of seeing this. Yeah, um, we should. But uh, Wolfen and The Howling are the other two movies from that year that we're going to get to eventually on this show. Uh, I think this is the best one out of the three. I think this is the one that's really stood the test of time. And it gave us Thriller. So <laughs> what do you think? What do you think of the Thriller music video? Because that's another one when I think of Horror 101. That, it, like, the Thriller video hits all the buttons for me of, like, what horror should yeah, be. Yeah, I love that video. It's, like, so iconic. And it's it's so crazy that it came from this, you know? MJ loved it, Yeah. I mean, I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. <laughs> I don't blame him either. He knew what time it was. It is almost time for us to sign off, but um, we like to give you your assignment for the week <laughs> to let you know what we're going to be talking about. And uh, this is my pick uh, coming up. And we have, uh, I don't I don't know how you would call this movie. It's not exactly a classic. Uh, it did spawn a franchise. Uh, Wishmaster from 1997, a movie that is very evocative of the 90s in a a lot of ways but what's really cool is you have three icons in this movie you have kane hodder who played jason in several films tony todd who played Candyman, and you have the one and only robert england in this movie he's got a pretty substantial supporting role in this so uh movie that came out in 97 uh, made about $15 million when it came out. Did, did okay at the box office. A uh, small production. Wes Craven uh, had, had a little bit to do with it. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to get into it. Have you Me seen too. this movie? I cannot recall if I have. If I have, it would have been a long time ago. And I don't know. To be honest with you, I probably haven't. So we've got, uh, we've got an evil creature coming up. He's a, he's a djinn, a genie. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, be careful what you wish for. That's, right. all, that's all I say. And hey, stay off of the moors. <laughs> Let's throw that out. Stay too. on the road. Stay on the road. Faith, does it feel like it's that time? Does it feel like the full moon is it rising does. and we need to get in before mm-hmm. the wolves start to howl? Yes. Let's see. Cue the music. There it is, Faith. Time to say goodbye. One of your favorite pieces of music Yes, ever. it is. It was a nice little piece of music. It's beautiful. Great film. Watch this movie if you've not seen it in a while. If it's one of your favorites, introduce it to all of your friends. Make sure. <laughs> I just think this is classic. It really it is. It really is. It's classic. It just hits all of the right notes for me. Mm-hmm. It just feels like monster movie. It does. The quintessential monster movie. Mm-hmm. So wherever you are, we hope you're happy. We hope you're healthy. We hope you're safe. And hey, if you're an interdimensional traveler or an alien, you know, say hi. And you can also reach us at late night fright podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Let's take it home, Faith. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the full moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep keep your your monster monster on on a leash. leash. We'll see you next time.